God would give me a really sustained mom voice to be able to holler the word of the Lord to you today, or that the rain would stop. And I'm glad he chose the rain because my mom voice usually comes across as really mean. So <laughs> here we are, and I am so thankful that I don't have to yell at you. <laughs> Over the last few days, we have gone through a series focusing on the five different meals that we can see major points in scripture where something that happened at the meal table or something that happened right after a meal is eaten can have real significance for our faith journey. We started looking at the Garden of Eden and what happened immediately following the meal that Adam and Eve weren't supposed to be at that table and instead, they missed a table they were supposed to be at. They chose the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil instead of the fruit of life. And instead of eating at the table they were invited to, they were eating at the broken table. And we put before us this question, do we live in the brokenness? And how sometimes that comes not from us actively engaging in sin, but sometimes it's the effects of sin still lingering where we feel the ongoing trauma of sin we've committed or sins committed against us. And sometimes we get stuck there, thinking of that one time we had spiritual growth and not looking forward to what God wants to do next. The second night, Friday night, we talked about the stolen table and we looked at Eli and Hophni and Phinehas who were priests in Israel in 1 Samuel. We looked at them as an example of what the people did what was right in their own eyes and how it affected even the clergy who stood before God's people and invited them to participate in God's kingdom by stealing the very sacrifices that were intended for God or perhaps not rebuking those who were. We saw the stolen table and we realized that we too are sometimes accountable for stealing the journey of others out from underneath them, for taking what could be a really hope-filled moment and turning it into something that prevents people from coming to know Christ. Last night, we met at the empty table, a table that is a place that a lot of us are in right now. Coming out of COVID, a lot of us are dealing with residual burnout those feelings of anxiety, of depression, of being exhausted by day to day, everything being so complicated. It's been a lot. We saw a story in scripture of the widow in Zarephath who was literally down to her last meal and God's prophet showed up and was like, yo, can I have some bread? It's <laughs> my last meal and you're asking for some? When we're in that place of burnout, God invites us to lean in, which is a hard thing for us to do. But the harder thing sometimes is for those of us who aren't in that place of burnout to realize, hey, now is not the time to say, I'll get back to you later. Now is not the time to dismiss. Now is not the time to say, pull on your big boy pants and get over yourself. Everybody went through COVID. Now is the time to lean in and say, I am here with you in this. And together, we will listen to the Holy Spirit and get through this. So today we find ourselves at a different kind of table. The first three, man, they have been hard tables to talk about. And I feel like maybe I did have my mom voice out just a little bit in the last three days. And I'm sorry for that. 
But today we meet at a new table, the reunion table, a table that a lot of us are familiar with in scripture as being called the Last Supper. It's a journey that takes place in John, the Gospel of John, chapters 13 through 17. And if you wanted to read through the whole story, I would encourage you to do that and see what it is that Jesus is communicating to his disciples in that point, because this is the last chance he gets to teach them before he makes his way to the cross and raises from the tomb. These are critical moments that teach us what we need to know about community. The reunion table, the question before us today is, do we live in community? Do we live in community? While our overarching story is John 13 and on, today I'd love for you to turn with me to John chapter 14, verses 15 through 24. If you have that on your phone or in a Bible, please feel free to turn there. If not, I'll invite you to do what I asked on the first night and just hold your hands in a position something like this, like a cup, maybe to catch some raindrops, but maybe just to hear the word of the Lord. And this will be our posture of listening for right now. When I do this with teen camp, I'm usually like, okay, let's hold up the focus, Fox, but I'll give you more dignity. So let's cup our hands in anticipation of what God will give us this morning. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever. This is the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him because he abides in you, and he will be in you. I will not leave you orphaned. I am coming to you. In a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me because I live. You will also live. On that day, you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. They who have my commandments and keep them, those who love me, and those who love me will be loved by my Father, and I will love them and reveal myself to them. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will reveal yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, those who love me will keep my word, and my Father will love them. And we come to them and make our home with them. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but from the Father who sent me. May the word of God be something that impacts our lives today. May something that we have heard this morning from scripture stick deeply in our ribs. This passage is not just significant for the fact that it is the last words of Jesus, but also in the timing that it takes place. You see, this reunion table was the very table that Israel was waiting for. They had been waiting for this moment, literally keeping a chair open at the end of a table for right now. You see, there's something that we see in scripture called the Passover feast. This is a feast in which people would gather and they would remember the exile of Israel into Egypt, where they were taken from everything they had ever known, everything that they ever loved, 
and thrust into some crazy oppressive nation. They felt as though they were alienated and isolated from the God they loved. And so each year they would gather and they would take bread and they would take the cup and they would take other elements of the meal and they would reenact the moment that was coming that the prophets had foretold in which a Messiah would come to Israel and say, now we are reunited. And here Israel sat under the impression of yet another country, still doing the same meal as a nation, waiting for that Messiah, the same Messiah who would pick up the bread and say the words that we will say tonight over the communion meal. This was a reunion that was happening and that significance may have overlooked the disciples' eyes initially. But in a few days, they would know the meal that they had eaten. We find this story is taking place in an upper room and a lot of people attribute that this house is probably Mark's mom's house. Does that matter? Not really, but it's fun if you go read Mark and chapter 14, verses 51 and 52, you see a little story that that's why we think it's Mark's mom's house. Uh, he uh, decided to follow the disciples and went home without his clothes there. What is striking about this passage, however, is that Jesus is saying all of these things in light of the fact that Judas Iscariot, not the Judas that we just talked about in this, he had just left. And Jesus knew that the reason he left was to betray him. And yet here, even in this moment, Jesus teaches about the importance of being willing to step into community with others. If you love me, you will keep my commands and love one another. Truth and love in a partnership. A lot of times we look at truth as being what we need for community, right? We think if we all follow the same set of laws or the same set of guidance or the same set of whatever, then we will be a healthy community. We will be in agreement with one another, yes? Because if we all agree to the same things, then obviously we will get along and life will be great. And, and I'm sorry, but that only works in Disney. Let me give you an example of what it looks like in real life. Throughout college, I had the worst track record with roommates. It probably was my fault. We would always start out the year with this wonderful agreement of like, here's our chore wheel, and you do this on this day, and I'll do this on this day, which like inside I'm dying, because that is not me. I hate that. But we would always start that way, and we would agree to do the things that needed to be done. And then came swine flu. I don't know how many of you remember swine flu coming around, but at Kingswood when I was there, there was a bit of an outbreak and my roommate was terrified of it. And I happened to catch it. And so the campus sent me home to do quarantine with my parents, which was kind of great because I got some time off, but my roommate bleached the entire room. And when I say bleached, it wasn't like she took a Clorox wipe and just gently wiped the handles of the doors down. She got the bottle out. And so when I came back with all my asthma a week later, I'm dying. I can't breathe. All my clothes are stained with little white spots all over it because she just poured it over the dresser. It was a mess. We couldn't live in community because even though we agreed 
to cleaning was a good thing. The practice of it, mmm, we had a stretch there. And so I found myself living in a new room before the end of that semester because the college felt, hey, that's probably best for both of you. Because this is, there's some trauma here. <laughs> and so my second set of roommates was a little better. I managed to make it through the third semester with them. So we, the first roommate, just one semester. But I get to the third semester before I find myself at real odds with my roommates. And of all the things to get angry about, we find ourselves yelling at each other in the parking lot over the Lord's Prayer. <laughs> I mean, come on. I gotta set the stage here for you because it started out with a little disagreement. We're watching Friends because this is what we do in college and we're laughing and we're eating popcorn and they make some funny joke and like somehow in our weird Bible college minds that are all twisted and warped by Jesus all the time, they ended up in this conversation about the Lord's Prayer, which is cool because I'm sitting there doing my Greek homework at the time and I'm translating the Lord's Prayer from the original Greek into English for a transliteration project. And my one friend who came from a Catholic background is like, ah, yes, and, and she finishes it off with, for thine is the glory, the power, and the kingdom forever and ever, amen. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, it's not there. It's not there. It is in scripture, but it wasn't there. And so in my heart, I'm like, no, I have to be right. I don't have to be friends, I have to be right, because community is built on truth. So I'm gonna tell her the truth. That argument lasted three days. And this is all during exam season because we're smart like that and we pick fights at the worst times. And so I'm yelling at her in the parking lot because we're both on our way to our exam and I'm on my way to the Greek exam and she's on her way to some other exam and I don't know what it was, I didn't care. I was right. And so I found myself and she's there, for thine is the kingdom, yelling in full Catholic. And I'm there yelling in full Greek with... <laughs> In full Catholic, I know. I'm running in full Greek, and I'm like, no, it's pater himon who is unto Uranus. And like, we sound like we're reenacting some crazy battle from Lord of the Rings. But we're just yelling the Lord's Prayer at each other. And people are like, what in the world is going on? It's almost 8 a.m. If neither of us get our butts in gear in the next 10 minutes, we were not going to be allowed into our first exams of the day. But did that matter? No, because in our minds, all that mattered was truth. And I was right. That's all that mattered to us. See, when we build community just on truth, we put ourselves in this weird place where I am right comes before we are community. We put ourselves in this dangerous place where what I believe matters so much more because I am so much more right than you. You're obviously looking at your Bible in the wrong translation. You're obviously looking at things in the wrong way. But here's the thing. Common beliefs are not enough. Common beliefs are not enough. If common beliefs were enough, then the boys who landed in the jungle in the Lord of the Flies probably wouldn't have put Piggy on a pike. If common beliefs were enough, I wouldn't have ended up in the parking lot screaming at my best friend in the middle of the snow-filled parking lot, yelling the Lord's Prayer in Greek at her because I was right. See, here's the thing. We both were. Because the Catholic version 
that includes, for thine is the power and kingdom and the glory forever and ever, amen, that we often use in Protestant circles now, that's scripture too. It's just not found immediately after. It's a blessing that comes from Corinthians. And instead of standing there and saying, well, like, the part I'm translating doesn't include what you're saying, but I was just so determined that I was going to be right. Do we live in community? Or do we live in I know what's best? See, the same can be on the other side of things. When we try to say that community is built on love, we run into all kinds of hairy situations where we find ourselves saying like, oh, well, as long as we love one another deeply enough, it doesn't matter that we put the dishes in different places and that your socks end up in places I don't like and, and on and on and on. And let me tell you, every newlywed knows this. Every person who first moves in with a roommate knows this. And then it ends up in this place where you're fighting out with each other and suddenly the dirty laundry comes sliding in under the bathroom door because you're willing to do anything to be right. Because it all boils, boils back down to that. Because I love you, so I'm going to do your laundry and you're going to put it in the right place. Because the laundry basket belongs in the bathroom. No, it doesn't. It belongs in front of the laundry. That's where the laundry basket goes. Community built on love, not enough. Community built on truth is not enough. What Jesus stops and tells his disciples in these moments is a different paradigm than they've ever known. It takes these two ideas, truth and love, and melds them together so that when truth is not enough, love is. And when love is not enough, truth is. Because you may not always agree on how things should be practiced, but you love each other enough to lean in and hear why. And when you love each other enough, you can speak truth that needs to be said even when it hurts to say it. Do we live in community? Do we live in a place where we are willing to be present in both truth and love? There was a woman at a church that I grew up in. She loved the teens, but she had had a really, really bad experience with the teens. See, she was our church pianist, and she was really gifted. She was amazing, and everybody knew that. But one time, there was a youth event at the church, and some kid who had never been to the church before went upstairs and spilled pop all over the brand new electric piano. It was destroyed. The kid didn't mean to. He was just trying to show off some anime intro that he had learned, and he was really excited to play it. And he really could play. But that left a really sour taste in her mouth. Because, yeah, she loved the teenagers, but she also really wanted to protect what God had given the church. They were a small church. They didn't have a lot of money, and so to spend money on a new electric piano, that was a lot. They couldn't use a uh, regular piano that had strings and hammers because where they were located in the East Coast, they warped all the time. So by the time you are putting in the money to retune it and retune it and retune it because of the moisture in the air, it costs as much as an electric piano. 
It was a hardship for them to go without that piano for a time, and when they finally got a new one, through the generosity of someone within the community, she lived with fear in her heart over what the church had. And so one morning, we arrive at church, and there's a, I guess you could call it a hullabaloo. There was a problem, and it was a catastrophe. The pianist that was there for that day, not the same woman who was so gifted, found a lock on the piano. They could not open the lid to get to the keys, to turn on the piano, to play for Sunday morning, because this other woman wasn't there to play. She put a lock on, and even though her very first thing that she would say to any teen who was gifted in piano was, keep doing that, use it for the Lord, her other actions were saying, but not here. And so while she was the first one to champion the fact that I was learning piano as a kid and so excited about it, and, and she would be like, you should play in the Christmas program, that's one out of 52 that I was welcome and present. Community was open at Christmas, but the other 51 weeks, it wasn't. Do we live in community? Do we live in a place where we are willing to hear the truth of God in scripture, but also love those around us? When community is built on truth, it can be hollow. When community is built on love, the same thing can happen. It's hollow. See, the two sides work together in this beautiful harmony where we see what God is calling us to and we work together to achieve it. Healthy community is built on truth and love. My best friend Sarah and I, we figured that out when my friend Deanna came out of the dorm who did not have an 8 a.m. exam. And she mothered us in that moment. And we say that because she was just the naturally amazing campus mom. Like the kind of person who came to school with all the medications because she knew that even if she didn't need them, somebody would at some point. She was the kind of one who just came with like the pantry set up so that, you know, we place our things in a nice place and we have nice things. And so she comes storming out. And I say storming because she was a tiny woman. But in that moment, I was afraid. Have you ever seen, I'm just going to be a nerd here for a minute. Have you ever seen the Lord of the Rings when Frodo and Gandalf are talking and suddenly Gandalf, who's like not that much taller, is suddenly towering over and he's really scary for Frodo? That's kind of what Deanna felt like in that moment because she came at us and she was like, you get it together. It is eight in the morning. You are both late for your exams. You in Greek, it's not right there, but it is in Corinthians. You get over it. And she whipped us into shape and sent us to our exams. But before we were allowed to go, we had to hug. Can I tell you how embarrassing it was as an 18-year-old to stand in a parking lot while my mom friend yelled at me and have to hug my best friend? Like, I'm surprised she did not put us in a get-along shirt. Like, it was one of those moments. But we needed that. 
We absolutely needed that because in that moment we realized we are both striving to see what God is saying to his people. We are both celebrating what scripture says, but we just cannot get along about it. But then we realized there really wasn't an argument, and so we went for wings that night, and we got over ourselves. And that has been the running joke in our friendship since. You see, if we hadn't have realized that those kinds of things didn't matter in the grand scheme of things, I wouldn't have been there to celebrate with her when she got married. I wouldn't have been there to see her kids being born, and she wouldn't have been there for my wedding or for Tristan's arrival in the world, and we wouldn't have been there in the moments of grief either. I wouldn't have had her as I lost my grandparents or our stepdad. I wouldn't have had her as a friend to support when her mom passed away and her grandma. I wouldn't have been there with her when she needed me and she would not have been present in my life when I needed her. Had we not settled down, as Deanna told us, and realized that our community needed to be more than just, I'm right, you're wrong. It needed to be more than that. Healthy community is built on truth and love. You see, there's a reason why I chose this passage to speak about healthy community. It is incredibly significant that Jesus reveals that Judas will betray him to a few of his disciples just before this. Judas Iscariot is sitting there at the table in community with them. And Jesus points out to a few of his disciples privately at the table that Judas is the one who will betray him. And then he goes into this discussion about what it means to love God and what it means to love one another. He was showing them that even in the points where you are polar opposites. Healthy community needs the foundation of truth and love. You see, we often vilify Judas Iscariot as being this really bad guy. And what he did, yeah, it was really bad. He betrayed the Messiah. But why do you think he did that? Sure, 30 pieces of silver helped, but maybe he was trying to safe guard the community. Maybe he wasn't such a bad guy. Sometimes we find ourselves in his shoes where we're trying to protect what is. And we find ourselves like this dear sweet woman who put a lock on the piano. We're trying to protect God's kingdom and investment in this world because we are waiting for the coming kingdom so hard that we don't want to miss out on any of it. And anything that looks like it might threaten God's kingdom, hmm, it's real easy, real easy to put that lock on. It's easy to live in truth and love when everyone around you values the same things. When people have differences, it can become a lot harder. There's a moment where we will find ourselves asking questions like, who is my neighbor? A moment where we find ourselves thinking, does this count enough as love? Is this loving enough? Like, 
hey, yeah, I know the truth of Scripture, but this, this seems like enough love. I don't have to do any more than this, right? We are quick to jump on those in Scripture, like the Pharisees and the Sadducees for the way that they love others. But sometimes we say all the same things. And we don't want to admit it. Do we live in community? Healthy community is built on truth and love. What does it look like? It looks like when we recognize the brokenness at our broken tables and we move away from that. Whether it is the sin we commit, the trauma of the sin committed against us, or our desire to just be in that point where we had growth in holiness and we're not looking forward to what God will do next. It looks like when we are aware of how we are stealing the table out from underneath other people, recognizing where we have privilege and using it in a way that brings glory to God's kingdom and lifts others. It is when we see the future of faith, even in the moments of emptiness, and we lean in to help others who have nothing left. As a challenge for you, I would love for us to think about the relationships that are around us. Because as tonight we come back to the communion table, I want us to be in a place where we are ready to come to the feast table. And so as the challenge I'm asking you to think of your relationships that might be broken or stolen or running on empty. Think about the people around you who are needing more from you and the people who need you to lean in. Ask God to be present with you in those spaces. And today, as we approach the feast table, take some time this afternoon. If you need to fix a broken table, to return a stolen table or to fill an empty table, make the phone call, take the drive, do the thing that needs to happen. Because when we dine at the feast table and we carry guilt in with us, it's not a great look. And we'll talk about that tonight. But do what needs doing. Lean in and reconcile before you come to the table. You see this dear sweet saint of the church who was so gifted at piano, she never reconciled. When she died, that lock was still on the piano. They had to bolt cut it off. The church is closed because people agreed with her. Let's protect God's investment. When the church closed, there was thousands of dollars unspent that had all been designated for outreach. That's a big example. But sometimes our spiritual accounts look very much the same. Time unspent, locks uncut, protective of what we have. Healthy community is built on truth and love. Truth without love, that's a weapon. Love without truth is a coffin. Do we live in community?